This is the Howie Silbiger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. Call 1-877-669-1292. And I'm Howie Silberger. Welcome to the Howie Silberger Show right here on the True Talk Radio Network. Such a pleasure to be here with you, and I'm happy that you chose to join me on this first episode of our 30th season of the Howie Silberger Show. It is exciting. 30 seasons is a very exciting thing. I never thought we'd make it to 30 seasons. In fact, when we started this show, way back when, I was in university. I was a university student, and uh, I had decided that radio was the future for me, and uh, I wanted to be on radio. And what I did was I went and I, uh, I asked uh, the local uh, university's radio station if I could do a talk show. Now, traditionally, university radio stations had only done music shows. And I asked them if I could do a talk show. And they looked at me like I was nuts. Program director said to me, you want to do a talk show on a university radio station? I said, yeah. And he said, all right, uh, we'll give you a shot. Uh, I don't think it'll work, he said, but we'll, we'll give it a shot and we'll, we'll see if it'll work. And I said, all right, give it a shot. And I went in and I did the craziest talk show I could possibly think of. Uh, I, I interviewed people. I asked them crazy questions uh, from celebrities to university students. I asked extremely, extremely crazy questions. And the show was a hit. It was broadcast uh, live into the, uh, into the cafeteria of the university. And many of the university students that were listening to the show went, what, what the heck is that? Now, now, the first show was called Howie's Rant. And uh, it went on for about three years, and eventually it expanded. It got simulcast on the, both university radio stations. The university had two radio stations, and I was simulcast on both stations, broadcasting from one, airing on the other. And you have to understand, these two stations did not get along at all. But the one thing they didn't understand was that what I was doing was fun, it was exciting, and it was different from what other people were doing on the radio at the time. When I uh, graduated university... I, I moved on. I started working for commercial radio. And not long after I started working for commercial radio, I got approached by a small upstart radio station in Montreal, a Jewish radio station called Radio Shalom, 1650 AM. And they said to me, hey, you're Jewish. You're on the radio. Maybe you could come and help us launch our Jewish radio station. And I said, no. I said, I'm not interested. I don't want to be involved. I, I don't want to be... I don't want to be uh, involved because I don't want to be typecast. I want to be pigeonholed as a Jewish radio talk show host. I wanted to make a career out of this. And by making a career out of it meant that I, I couldn't pigeonhole myself. I couldn't put myself into that category of exclusively Jewish. And I said no, and I resisted. And they, they didn't take no for an answer. They, they weren't so happy about my no. And they said to me, Listen, uh, we understand that, that you don't want to do it, but we need your help. Could you please come? And it took about six months to convince me to get permission from the commercial radio station I was working at to go and do a show on the Jewish radio station in Montreal. And I did. And that's where the Howie Silberger Show was born. At first, it was called the 6 O'Clock Report on that station. Then it became Contact with Howie Silberger. Then eventually, it became the Howie Silberger Show. And I stayed with that station for over 18 years. Then after that, we came here. Well, we were on True Talk Radio before we went to that station. I started True Talk Radio. And uh, after we left uh, 1650 AM in Montreal, we went back online. And here we are, 30 seasons of the Howie Silberger Show. And I I'm happy. I don't feel old at all. I might look old, but I don't feel old at all. I, I don't feel like the time has passed. Now, over the next little while, uh, over, of course, the next year or so, we'll be looking back at some of the highlights of the last 30 seasons of the Howie Silberger Show. We'll look back at uh, some of the interesting people we interviewed. Maybe we'll, we'll revisit with some of the people who were regulars on the show who are no longer regulars on the show. Maybe we'll, uh, we'll talk to some, some people who were involved in the show. And you can imagine, over the time, there has been a lot of people. Now... I decided for the uh, 30th season, for this season here, that we're going to go on to 
a daily show again. Now, we had done a daily show for about 10 years on the AM radio station, and it's quite a grind. So I'm going to tell you now. Uh, I intend to be on every single night at 10 p.m., and uh, that is something that I intend to do. Uh, There will be times where life will get in the way, and I won't be on at 10 p.m. live. So we'll play a rerun on the True Talk Radio app. Um, I won't live stream a rerun, but we'll play a rerun on the True Talk Radio app. The show is designed to be a radio show, so I'm live streaming a radio show, which which seems a little weird, but that's that's what we're doing. We're live streaming a radio show, and um, so so just so you know that uh, if if the image looks a little weird, if you're watching on uh, on Facebook, on Twitter, on uh, on any of the any of the places where we're we're streaming, if the image looks a little weird or or I, I don't look like I'm trying to produce a TV show. It's because we're producing a radio show that is being streamed as a TV show. But the radio sound is more important to me than the TV look. Just I'm just being honest with you. I'm always transparent and honest. And, uh, of course, the last thing I want to tell you, the last thing I want to say here, is that uh, we will continue, as we have, to not shy away from dealing with issues that nobody wants to talk about, we're going to not shy away from dealing with, uh, from expressing views that people are, uh, are afraid to express. And we're, we're not going to, um, to limit ourselves based on political correctness, wokeness, or anything else. I own the platform that we broadcast on. And if the social media companies don't like the show, they could remove it from their media companies. I don't care. But I own the platform we broadcast on, and I intend to continue speaking my mind and I'm inviting you to join me to in conversation because the lines are always open at one 669 1292 You are invited to join me in conversation at any time during the show. Just call in and uh, I'll put you on the air with me. And we could talk and discuss the issue like normal human beings. Normal human beings have opinions. Normal human beings have differing opinions. And all opinions are welcome on the show. And I have no problem with anybody calling in and talking to me when we're live. Uh, on, on, on the station. So that said, uh, let's move on. Uh, the American Defamation League, the Anti-Defamation League of the United States, uh, and the Canadian League for Human Rights, as they call it in Canada, it's basically the same organization, both founded under B'nai B'rith. Uh, one of them, the ADL in the States, split off from B'nai B'rith years ago, uh, discarded their Jewish roots because Judaism didn't bring them as much money as uh, as being independent and and screaming about anti anti Jewism, uh, you have to understand that they they come up with these reports on uh, on the state of uh, of Jew hatred in North America, and they come up with these reports annually. and And the reason for these reports is not so much to let the world know how much Jew hatred exists. We all know how much Jew hatred exists. Uh, I don't need ADL or any other organization to tell me how much Jews are hated in the world. Uh, I just have to look around and I understand that Jews are hated. But they, but they exist, these organizations, to raise money. And the way they raise money is scaring Jews into believing that the that there is a, a, an epidemic of Jew hatred in North America that's going to kill Jews and eventually destroy, destroy whatever Jews are living in North America and that a Holocaust in North America is imminent. And that is really their uh, their scare tactic. That's what they try to do. And the reason they do that is uh, because they get government funding for it. The government gives them money to uh, to to scare people, and uh, and and if you scare the Jews enough, the Jews will donate money because they think you're doing something to stop uh, Jew hatred in in the areas that you are in. Uh, B'nai B'rith and uh, the Anti Defamation League or uh, the League for Human Rights or any of these organizations that track uh, anti Jewish behavior in uh, in North America don't really do anything to stop the hatred in North America. They just document it. And documenting it uh, just gives them bragging rights. All right, so we have 250 documented cases in, in, in uh, Montreal, Quebec, about, uh, you know, over the last year of anti-Jewish. I'm just making the number up, but, but, but you understand what I'm saying. And because we have that, you know, we, we have to stand against this, of course, because this is a terrible number. And look how big this number is. 
And because it's such a big number and it's such a terrible number, we have to stand against this. And the only way we can stand against this is you giving us money. And that's essentially the sales pitch. Uh, I, I saw through the BS years ago, and uh, and and I've never bought into it. And I've uh, and and I've always encouraged people to to think critically when these organizations make these claims. What is their ulterior motive? Why are they making this claim? And once you realize that their ulterior motive is usually is usually money, and that's usually the motive of most organizations, they want to raise as much money as possible. When you realize that that's the ulterior motive, then do their scare tactics really work? Now, of course, there is Jew hatred, and it is important to document and to understand that the Jew hatred exists and to be careful and to, uh, and to be vigilant. Nobody wants to get hurt. Nobody wants to get killed. But you also have to understand that, that the organizations that, are, that pretend to be there to help you are not really doing that. They're not, they're not really helping you. They're kind of uh, standing in the background and just watching the Jew hatred happen. They're not being proactive to stop it. And, and, and the worst part about it is that the organizations that are out there who are trying to stop it, who are, who are actively working to stop it, are generally and usually condemned by these major Jewish organizations, as they like to call themselves, the mainstream Jewish organizations. Uh, they're condemned by those organizations because, and only because, they're afraid that these other organizations are going to take some money away from them. That's why, that's why they're afraid of them, and that's why they condemn them. Years ago, when I was, uh, when I was a young one, I, um, I started an organization called Save All Jews Everywhere. Now, the goal of our organization, we were very altruistic, and the goal of our organization was to, um, to, to save all Jews everywhere. That was, that was our goal. It, it started off uh, when I was at Bar-Ilan University in Israel. We had heard, uh, myself and Jason Lang, who was my co-founder of this organization, we had heard that there was a... Uh, a plan to build a shopping mall across the street from the Auschwitz death camp in Poland. Now, it didn't surprise anybody that the Polish government wanted to build a shopping mall there. Uh, you know, the Polish government stood by and allowed Jews to be killed, majority of their Jews to be killed. So why would it surprise anybody that they didn't, they didn't find the sites where these Jews were murdered as, uh, as any kind of sacred site? The uh, mass graveyard that is the Auschwitz death camp uh, didn't really seem to matter to them, so these um, so they were they were going to build a um, they were going to build a shopping mall right there at Auschwitz. All right, so uh, Jason and I decided that you know, we can't allow this to happen. This is not something that we are we, we're interested in. Not something that we we think should happen. And so what we did was we went and we decided that we we're going to organize a protest in front of the Polish embassy to protest this building of a shopping mall. And we went and we put together flyers, we had them printed, and we posted them around campus in English and in Hebrew. And we decided that Sunday night at 8 o'clock, we were going to be standing in front of the, uh, of the Polish embassy in, in, in Tel Aviv, and we were going to protest this, 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 this unusual and horrible attack on the memory of the Jews that were killed in the Holocaust. And we packed up our stuff, and we, we had, a, I had a boombox. Uh, I don't know if you remember the boomboxes, but uh, it, was, it was like it was, it was a ghetto blaster. It was, it was huge. It had two speakers on it and it had a tape deck. It was really a nice piece. And the feature, the one feature I really liked about this one, this, this box I had, was that it ha you could plug a microphone into it and it acted it added, it, it, it acted as a project projector of voice it acted as an amplifier and so we when you plug the microphone in it acted like a speaker so you were able to speak into the microphone and your voice was projected we took that along and a microphone and we went to the Polish embassy we were the only ones to show up we were the only ones there and we stood in front of the Polish embassy and we looked around and noticed that nobody else had shown up. And we decided, oh, well, we're going to protest anyway. We, we don't care. And we started our protest, chanting into our microphone, blasting our voice right across the embassy, at the embassy. And we stood there for about 15 minutes when two guys came out of the embassy doors and walked up to us. One of them says to me, 
in Hebrew, he says to me, uh, who are you and why are you here? And I pretend I didn't understand what he said, and he repeated in English, he said, who are you and why are you here? And I told him that we're here to protest the, the, the building of this shopping mall at the Auschwitz death camp. And the man looked at me and said to me, come inside. And I looked at Jason and I said, oh, come inside, what do you mean? He said, come inside, you, you're going to meet the ambassador. You'll tell him what your protest is. We were there for about 10 minutes, screaming into a, into <laughs> the only two people standing there for 10 minutes, screaming into this machine. And now we're being invited into the embassy. So Jason and I, we, we walk into the embassy. We're all proud of ourselves. And we sit down in front of the ambassador and we tell him what our complaints are. And the ambassador looks at us and he says to me, I hear you. I understand your concern. I understand your complaint. And I will bring it up to the president of Poland. I said, wonderful, thank you. And so we left, feeling like we accomplished something. When we got back to the university, we met up with, um, with some people and we told them the story. The um, people looked at us and they started laughing. And I said, what are you laughing at? And they said, well, you understand that the ambassador is not really going to bring your concerns up to the president of Poland. You, you get that, right? And I said, yeah, yeah, I understand that. And they said to me, and you understand that they called you in just to get you to stop screaming on the street, right? And I said, yeah, yeah, I get that too. And then they said, you understand that B'nai Akiva, the Jewish youth group of B'nai Akiva, had a rally earlier in the afternoon about the same topic where 30,000 people showed up. And that I did not know. So imagine, 30,000 people were there earlier in the afternoon screaming, and the ambassador probably watched it through his window. And then they all left, and he said, thank God they're gone, quiet, and then two schmucks showed up with a, with a makeshift amplifier and started screaming at him again. It was easier to talk to the two of us than it was to talk to the 30,000, I guess. Anyway, we took that uh, organization back to North America with us when we came back to North America. And um, we formed Save All Jews Everywhere. And we heard that there was a problem. A bunch of old ladies were being attacked going to the supermarket. And so we went and we formed a Jewish security force. Now, the idea behind the Jewish security force was basically a walk-safe program. We were going to walk old ladies from, from their homes to the shopping mall so they could buy groceries and then walk them home, ensuring that they didn't get mugged and their arms didn't get broken by muggers pulling their, pulling their purses off their arms, as it happened a couple of times over the last couple of months. So we formed this organization, the Jewish Security Force, and we started training people in self-defense in case they got attacked while they were walking these people. And the sole goal was to walk people from their homes to the, uh, to the mall and then from the mall back to their homes in a certain neighborhood. I get a call from B'nai B'rith. Could you come down to our office? We'd like to talk to you. So I go down to the office and uh, I sit down with the exec director and the president of neighbors and they look at me and they say to me, you understand we can't allow you to continue doing what you're doing. So I said, I don't understand what you're saying. They said, you know, we can't allow you to continue with the Jewish security force. You're going to have to stop this. And I said to them, well, so you want old ladies to have broken arms? You want old ladies to be beaten up on the way to the shopping mall? Is that what you're telling me? And they said, no, we're, we're going to deal with it in other ways. I said, what other ways are you dealing with this? This has been happening for months, and you're doing nothing. Now, don't forget, at this point, I'm 19 years old. So, I, um, I look at them, and I say to them, you're not going to bully me into stopping. There's no way you're going to bully me into stopping. I'm going to do what I do. And if you don't like it, then you do what you have to do. And I walked out of the order. I walked out of the office. 
few days later, I get a call from the Montreal Police Department who tell me, you have to come down and talk to us. So I went down to talk to them, and the Montreal Police decided that they were going to put the screws to us. And they threatened the my partner in crime, the man who, uh, who was training my people, that they would deport him back to his native Russia if he did not stop in his activities of training people to defend little old ladies walking to the shopping mall. So he had to quit, and the organization fell apart, and little old ladies started getting mugged again going to the shopping mall. So the, the end result uh, of, of the neighborhood intervention at that point was that a situation that was being solved by another organization doing something they didn't think of doing turned out to have worked and then they, they had it canceled because it was a threat to their authority. So I learned the hard way about these organizations and how these organizations work and, uh, and I'm fine with that. This doesn't bother me. Once you understand the game, you know how you can play it and you know how you fit into the game. When I did my show on Radio Shalom, the president of Federation refused to be in the room with me when he came to talk on the radio. So so if the radio, if he was talking on somebody else's show and I just have to be in the station, he refused to be in the station with me. And I was fine with that too. He didn't have to come. So what I'm saying is, and the reason I went off on this tangent, is to tell you that we're not going to shy away from talking about anything on this show. So night after night, you're going to hear me rant, you're going to hear me talk, you're going to hear me discuss, and I'm hoping you're going to call in many different things, some of the things you may not agree with, some of the things you might love. But whether you love it or hate it, it's going to be spoken about right here on this radio show. And, and, and that's the way it is. Now, of course, you're welcome to call in. Of course, the numbers are one eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. It's one eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. You can feel free to call in any time. I'll be more than happy to talk to you. Uh, some people complained when I started advertising that we were going to start doing the show live every night at ten p.m. Some people complained, "Hey, ten p.m. That's so late. I, I go to bed at ten p.m." So I want to tell you that the uh, the archive of the show will be up on uh, on YouTube and on Mixcloud and on Facebook, and you can find it on Twitch. And I'll post an MP3 of this so that you could uh, you can listen to it. And of course, you could uh, you could you could um, you can subscribe to the podcast, the How We Silver Show podcast. And every time we update the show, we will uh, we will add it to the podcast list, and then you'll be able to uh, get it automatically on your devices, at least the audio version automatically on your devices, and you'll be able to listen to it that way. So there, there are plenty of ways to listen to the show. Another thing I'm going to ask you is that if you could tell your friends and family that the show is back on the air and share the news so people know that I'm on the air and I'm, we're going to be talking every night, uh, I, I would love for you to do that. That would be a, a lot of help for us. And, of course, the last thing is if you... Um, if you want to help support the show, we don't take donations. Like a lot of other podcasts, a lot of other shows take donations. They beg you for money. We're never going to beg you for money. It's not our thing. What we are going to ask you, though, is if you want to uh, sponsor the show or sponsor an episode or, 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 or somehow, somehow help us out financially, you could contact me. My email address is howie at truetalkradio.com. Uh, you could tweet me at Howie Silberger, uh, and uh, and I, I will contact. And we'll, we'll get in touch, and we'll talk about ways that you could help support this radio show. It's not cheap putting on the show. We have to buy the equipment. We buy the fancy studio, the equipment. It's not cheap putting on the show, but here we are. And uh, and so uh, this all brings me to um, this. This all brings us to the the idea that the media manipulates you and, and you are manipulated by the media daily. They, they spin stories, they drive us crazy, they, they scare us, and they do it in order to get more eyes and to, to get more viewers and to sell more papers and to have more advertising on their TV stations. The more people watching, the more they can sell their advertising for. It's all a big business. 
And so news has become a huge business. It used to be to tell news. And, and that's really not what it is anymore. News has become a huge business. Uh, so much so that CNN started a streaming service uh, three weeks ago called CNN Plus. They spent over a billion dollars. Now, now think about this. A billion dollars. That's a lot of money. Now, now this is a network that tries to make you feel guilty that, that, you are, that you are a middle-class person struggling to pay your taxes. And they spent a billion dollars building a streaming service that they closed down in three weeks. So, so think about this again. It's, the most, it's one of the most woke networks out there. One of the networks that, that insist that the 1% is crushing the 99%. Uh, the, the network that backed the, um, the Wall Street, uh, the Wall Street uh, you know, the, the Occupy Wall Street movement. The, the network that backed the Black Lives Matter movement. The network that backed all the movements that, that, that claim that the rich are oppressing the poor. And they had a billion dollars to put into a streaming service, which they shut down. A billion dollars. And they haven't gone out of business. So, so the billion dollars didn't really affect them in a, in a, in a huge way. Now, when, when you think about that, that, that these are, <laughs> it's funny. And it makes me laugh. It makes me laugh every time. And um, what, what it is, is <laughs> what makes me laugh is, is that the people who are screaming that the 1% is crushing the 99%, the people on TV who are screaming that are making millions and millions of dollars. They're part of the 1% and, and, they're, and they're screaming that the 1% is crushing the 99%. And they're part of the 1%. In fact, they're, they're, they're probably on the highest level of the 1%. So, so the people who are actually committing the, the, the atrocities that they, they, they claim that these people are committing, the people who are on the top of that, uh, of that level, are the ones screaming that we should dismantle the level. So, so there's a lot of homeless people in Los Angeles and in New York and in all these cities. There's, there's tons and tons of, of very, very, very poor people. Yet I don't see any CNN host, MSNBC host, or any of these other hosts taking out their wallets and ending poverty in a city with the tens of millions of dollars that they make a year. I don't see that happening. And, and the reason I don't see that happening is because Human beings are inherently greedy. Uh, we're, we're born to be greedy. This is, this is part, of, part of our DNA. And, and so, it, well, it's easy to yell that everybody should be helping everybody and that, and that it's not fair that, that, that you know, CEOs are making, are making 10,000 times the, 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 the salary that their employees are making. The people yelling that are not willing to give up their salary to, to help other people either. Kind of sad when you think about it. Kind of upsetting. Well, I, I wouldn't call it upsetting. I, I, I would, uh, I would say that I'm, I'm actually not surprised by it. This is not something that surprises me, and it doesn't surprise me simply because I expect it. I expect it, the same way I expect organizations like the ADL and and B'nai B'rith and and Federation to play up anti-Jewism in their cities and in their, in, their, in their countries in order to encourage Jews, and I use encourage in quotation marks, to encourage Jews to donate money because that is the sole purpose. They even care about that stuff. Most of these people, all they care about is assimilation. So because they care about, because they care about assimilation, uh, the only way to get money from people who don't necessarily care about assimilation is to... Is to um, is to scare them into into donating money, and that's that's what, that's essentially what they do. Now, some people will say, "Whoa, Howie, what are you saying? That federations encourage assimilation? How could you possibly say that?" Well, I'm going to give you two examples from here in Montreal, and because we're a Montreal-based show, a lot of the examples I use on the show will be based in Montreal. So let me give you two examples uh, based in Montreal. In fact, one of the examples I'm going to give you uh, had the executive director <laughs> walk out of an interview with me. Uh, the Y, M-Y-W-H-A, the Young Men, Young Women's Hebrew Athletic Association, uh, the Jewish Y, decided that Montreal's Jewish Y was always traditional, and it was the Y that decided that uh, 
that that was the last man standing when it came to closing down on the holidays and on Shabbat and 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 all through the year. And uh, this why decided maybe maybe a decade ago, a little less than a decade ago, decided that they were going to open up on on Shabbos. They they were going to open up on Saturdays. They they felt that their 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 um, membership needed to be able to to um, exercise on Saturday. So they were going to open their building on Saturday. They were going to open their gym on Saturday, and they had uh, some stupid rules, some idiotic rules that they were going to put into place. But uh, essentially, the Y was giving up on Judaism because being Jewish is somehow a dirty word. So they were giving up on Judaism, and they were going to open the Y on Saturday. And they did. They, they, well, we forced them, the, or my show forced them to have a referendum, and the referendum of their membership said that they were going to open up on Saturday. Fine. So they opened up on Saturday. And they found that not too many people were showing up on Saturday. People weren't used to exercising on Saturday. People weren't used to their building being opened. Now maybe it's a little more than it was back then, but back then they were losing their shirts on Saturday. But they kept it open just to prove their point that Judaism was outdated, outmoded. Orthodox Judaism was draconian, and that was the point they were trying to make. And the point was driven home when Bialik High School in Montreal decided to pull Jewish programming out of their out of their school. They wanted to become a they want to become a school of um, a prep school. They 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 want to become a secular prep school that had very little Jewish. Now now you got to understand Bialik High School really had very little Jewish Jewish education to start with. So pulling out whatever little was there uh, would have would have would have actually. Um, Destroyed the school as a Jewish school. That's what they. That's what the plan was to destroy the school as a Jewish school, rip it down, and rebuild it as a as a prep school, as a secular prep school that didn't really care much about Jewish. It was Jewish themed, but it wasn't a Jewish school. All right, whatever. The uh, I opposed it, of course, on on the radio. We we went through. We did a lot of stuff. We did a documentary about it, and um, and one day. I was standing in a restaurant. I was getting condiments for the hot dog I had bought in this restaurant. And a man walked up to me, an older man. And he said to me, are you Howie Silberger? And I said, yes, yes, I'm Howie Silberger. That's me. And he said to me, well, you're a snake. Now, my general reaction when people come up randomly to me in in restaurants people I don't know who randomly come up to me in restaurants and insult me, my general reaction is to say thank you very much and give them a confused look and walk away. And I looked at the man and I said, thank you very much, and I gave him a confused look and I started to walk away. And he stopped me. He says, wait a second, don't you walk away from me. I was like, oh, okay. Now this goes to a different level. Don't you walk away from me. I turn around and I say, what can I do for you? I said, before we even talk about what I could do for you, who are you? So he mumbled his name, and I didn't hear him, and I asked him to repeat his name, and he repeated his name, and uh, he repeated his name a third time. And the third time I heard the name, and I realized that I was talking to one of the, one of the greatest, one of the biggest philanthropists in Montreal. One of the greatest guys, one of the biggest guys. He donates to everybody. Tons and tons of money. His name is Alvin Siegel. He is uh, he is the president of Peerless Jeans. They make suits in Montreal, the Peerless Suit Company, and uh, he um, and he says to me, "What you're doing at B- to be Alec is atrocious." So I was fighting to uh, to keep Jewish education in the school, and he found it atrocious that I was trying to keep Jewish education in that school. So he says, what you're doing in that school is atrocious, and you should be ashamed of yourself. You have to understand, he said to me, that your form of Judaism is draconian. You're a dinosaur, and you have to get with the times. So, you know, believing in the Torah, believing in, uh, in God's word is draconian, and you, can't, you have to get with the times. 
And, and you're the worst enemy to the Jewish people. You're your worst enemy than anybody else. You're, you're the worst enemy to the Jewish people, he told me. And I looked at him and I said to him, all right, I don't want to get into a protracted argument with you, I answered him. But you're the man who took the Sadie Brofman Center, which was a Jewish theater that never, ever did a play on, on Shabbos or on Aaron Yontov. And you had them converted to the Siegel Center for Performing Arts. So forget about Sadie Brofman. We wiped her name off the map. Now it's the Siegel Center for Performing Arts. And what you did was you caused them to start having plays that start five seconds after Shabbos ends. You, you don't care about religion. You see, I, I don't care much if Jewish organizations follow religion. That doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me if an organization wants to do a play on Shabbos. If, if, if the secular people in the organization want to do a play on Shabbos, it doesn't bother me. I, I'm actually libertarian when it comes to this. I, I believe that people should, you know, people's religion are between them and God, not between me and them. But I think that institutions, major Jewish institutions, should at least promote the bare minimum of Judaism. And, and the reason they should is to set an example for the children. So you may not personally believe that God gave the Jews the Torah, that we have to follow this lifestyle. This may be something you don't believe, and that's fine. I, I, it doesn't bother me. You could believe whatever you want. You could do whatever you want, and you could worship whatever you want or however you want. It doesn't bother me. I don't care. But what I do care about, and this I've said for years, this is not a revelation to people who have watched this show for years, but what I do care about is that we give the children the opportunity to make an educated decision. And, and what do I mean by an educated decision? So if they're never exposed to an organization, if they never ask the question, why is the Y closed on Shabbos? If they never ask the question, why is the Y closed on Saturdays? If they never ask the question, why, why can I only get kosher food at the Federation building? If they never ask these questions, growing up in a secular home, if they never ask these questions, then you failed to at least give them the basics of Jewish culture. So, so all these people who claim, I'm Jewish, I'm culturally Jewish, whatever the hell that means, those people who claim that and then deny the culture to their children are actually stealing Judaism from the next generation of Jews. So, if you don't want to be religious, that's fine. But at least show them the tradition. At least explain to them that there are some Jews out there that, that actually follow the religion. There are some Jews out there that actually care about the religion. By erasing the religion from our Jewish institutions, and we've been slowly doing that. Uh, I mean, we've done it all over North America. And um, on many shows, I've said that North American Jewry is dead. We're, we're, we're kind of done here. We're baked. We're We're, we're done. By, by, by shedding Judaism from our institutions and shedding Judaism from our lives, we're denying the next generation the opportunity to even understand, to even know, to, 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 to connect with their heritage, a heritage that millions and millions of people have died to maintain. People have stood in front of firing squads and gone into, gone into ovens and, and been shot and ripped apart and destroyed and burned in synagogues to maintain this religion. I said this to a friend of mine who decided that he wanted to intermarry. He wanted to marry a non-Jewish person. Marry outside the faith. I, I said to him, listen, I said to him, your, your grandparents and your great-grandparents and your great-great-grandparents and the ones who were beaten up and the ones who were, who were raped and destroyed and, 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 and killed and murdered and and tortured because they were Jewish and refused to give up their Judaism, are really smiling down on your wedding today. And that's after I refused to go to the wedding, of course. We have to understand that history means something. You know, I talk to people, and uh, I say to them, I'm a history teacher, and they look at me and they say, oh, that's such a boring subject. Why do we have to know history? And this is the reason we have to know history. We have to understand history because 
If we don't, then we don't understand who we are. If you don't understand who your ancestors were, you don't understand who you are or who you should be. If we don't understand that Jews were attacked and killed and, and massacred and pogrom after pogrom in inquisitions and crusades and holocausts throughout history, then we can't be good Jews today. Because it's all part of what being a Jew is. Understanding that we are different, and because Jews are different, the non-Jewish world hates us. Now, I know people are going to say to me, oh, Howie, Howie, that's racist. How could you say that? It's not racist. It's the truth. It's the truth. Think about this. The Christians claim to have the New Testament. So what is the New Testament? The New Testament is the replacement of the Old Testament. So the Old Testament was the covenant between Jews and God that was given to Moses on Mount Sinai that the Jews accepted way back when Moses got the, the Torah on Mount Sinai and the Jews have been following that lifestyle ever since. And, and so that, that, that the Christians call the Old Testament. Now, the New Testament was the testament put together after the death of Jesus and claims to have a new covenant with God. So a new covenant with God means that you have to uh, give up the old covenant and accept the fact there's a new covenant. So now you have the Old Testament and the New Testament. The New Testament replaces the Old Testament. Makes sense. I mean, you can't have a new car and have an old car sitting in your driveway at the same time. If you have one car driveway, you can't fit two cars. You can't stack them. So one has to replace the other. So you get rid of the old, you bring in the new. Now, the New Testament is, uh, is an interesting book. It's, it's, it's a fascinating read, so I encourage everyone to read it because you have to know what you're talking about, so read it. Um, it's an interesting book. But if you can't, if people are still following the Old Testament, people still believe in the Old Testament, then the New Testament is kind of worthless, Right. So what the Christians did, their first reaction to that was, oh, the Jews aren't converting to Christianity. They're not accepting Jesus as the Messiah. They're not, they're not, they're not accepting the Christian Bible as their Bible. So we have to kill them. And so the first round of crusades was to kill the Jews. Now, a few years later, Inquisitions, Crusades, it all happened to kill the Jews because the Jews wouldn't accept the Bible. So, so the condition for the Jew to live in those times was convert to Christianity or die. They had two options. Now, a lot of Jews chose to die rather than convert to Christianity. So, so moving on, uh, Islam comes around about 700, 800 years later, Islam comes around, and now there is a third testament. So you have the original testament given to the Jews by God on Sinai. You had the New Testament written by the disciples after, after Jesus died. And then you had the the, the Quran, which is the third testament, a third covenant between God and his people. And the people keep changing. So first it was the Jews, then it was the Christians, now it's the Muslims. Now the Muslims say, okay, they understood the same concept. In order for our, our, our testament to have legitimacy, nobody else could believe in any of the other testaments. So, so the Muslims started killing Jews and Christians. So that was the second round of crusades. That was this first round of jihads, then you had the crusades that came and they, they were fighting the jihad. Um, so, the, so the first round of jihad was to get rid of the Jews and the Christians who didn't believe in the Quran. Uh, history is fascinating if you actually understand it. So, when Islam failed at getting rid of the Christians and the Jews, and they realized that they would never be able to destroy these people, and they, they would never be able to wipe them off the face of the earth, which was their goal, as it's written in the Quran, <laughs> that's, their, that's their goal, when they, when they realized that, they accepted the Jewish Bible and the Christian Bible as part of their canon. So now if you speak to, to, to Islamic people, they, they believe in, 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 in the Quran and they also accept the Christian and the Jewish Bible as Bibles, which is fascinating, which is a fascinating solution to the thing. Let's be inclusive rather than exclusive. Fascinating. Now, they still want you to convert to Islam. They still want you to accept the Quran as the true Bible, uh, which, is, which is interesting because now they're saying, all right, we accept, it, we accept your Bibles as, as Bibles, and we accept Moses as a prophet, and we accept, we accept everything, but, but, but our Bible's still better. Because once again, 
it comes back to the original concept that if you don't accept the 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 new covenant and you're still accepting the old covenant, the new covenant is invalid. And so here we are. We're, we're living in a world where where now, you know, nobody cares about accepting any covenant. A religion is a bad word. We're living in a society that's pushing secularism, especially in Quebec, pushing secularism, saying that uh, that that religion is bad and we shouldn't be teaching religion in schools and we shouldn't be uh, we shouldn't be encouraging people to follow religions. This is a bad thing. Uh, in fact, teachers and uh, judges and police officers and anybody in positions of a government authority are, are, are prohibited from wearing any religious symbols uh, because religion is bad, bad, bad. It, it, it's it's a scary situation when you think about it. It's uh, you know, when you when you tell people when you become thought police and you tell people what they're allowed to think and what they're not allowed to think. That's that's where you get into a very precarious and scary situation. So am I allowed to believe in God? And what is a religious symbol? So if I wear a yarmulke, which I do, I, I wear a kippah. If I wear a kippah, that's a religious symbol. It's an obvious religious symbol for the Jewish people. Now, I, if I wanted to work in a public school, I would have to take that kippah off my head in order to go to work. Now, I could wear it when I leave, but I just can't wear it while I'm there because somehow this little piece of cloth on my head would cause me, in the government's logic, this little piece of cloth on my head would cause me to, to, um, to, to preach my religion to young kids in the school. And therefore, because, because I wear a piece of cloth that would allow me to preach my religion to young kids in the school, I, I'm prohibited from wearing it. But I could wear it outside of the school, no problem. So my beliefs could exist outside of the school building, but not within the school building. So, so my value system, which, which Judaism is, it's, it's, it's a built value system, it's a built lifestyle, which includes a, a very strong value system, that has to be suspended when I walk through the door of a school? How do, how do you do that? How do you separate yourself from yourself? It, it doesn't make sense. Now, does Judaism define me? Uh, not particularly. Uh, I, am, I, I am a Jewish Canadian, and I put Jews, Jewish before Canadian because... I'm part of the Jewish nation before I'm part of the Canadian nation. So I'm, I'm a Jewish Canadian. Uh, I define myself as an Orthodox Jew. Uh, I, I, follow, I follow the mitzvot. I, 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 I do what I have to do in order to, to qualify to be Jewish and to qualify to be Orthodox Jewish. And I, I, I do it proudly. I don't hide it. In fact, I just announced it publicly, as I have for the last 30 seasons on the Howie Silberger Show. Um, and I'm not ashamed of it. And I don't take my keep off for anyone. If you Google my name, you will see that. I, d- I refuse to take my, my yarmulke off for anybody. I don't care what you think of it. Live with it. Deal with it. And I, I've lost jobs because I refuse to take it off. And I've been denied promotions, particularly in radio, because I refuse to take it off. And I will continue to refuse to take it off for the rest of my life. Because unlike a lot of people, I am a proud Jew that will not, will not shy away from my Jewish heritage, from my Jewish tradition, and from my Jewish beliefs. Not for, not for anybody. I wish there were more Jews out there that would say the same thing and do the same thing and practice what they preach. I really wish that existed. Unfortunately, they don't. I, I know a lot of Jews who claim to be Orthodox who, uh, who hide their Judaism because they're afraid. And why are they afraid? It brings us back to the beginning of the show. Because they read the news reports and understand and believe the baloney that's being fed to them by the likes of the Anti-Defamation League and B'nai B'rith and the Federations. So when we feed propaganda and when we feed garbage to people, people believe it and people get scared. You see that, you see that with, uh, with, with Jew hatred, and the predominance of Jew hatred around the world. You see that with COVID. So they're discussing now in Quebec to remove masks, to remove the mask mandate, that people won't have to wear masks in public. Now, this should have been done months and months and months ago, but, uh, of course, the fear campaign has to continue. So um, 
we we all realize, and I think anybody with a with a half a with a half a rock in their head will realize that the masks did not work. People wearing masks are still getting COVID. People isolating themselves at home and locking themselves into their houses for two and a half years are still getting COVID. COVID uh, doesn't care if you're wearing a mask. COVID doesn't care if you're locked in your house. If if you're exposed to it, you can get it. And so, um, because the masks don't work, the mask mandate makes no sense. And Quebec is the last province, uh, last area in all of Canada, to probably most of North America, probably all of North America, to have a mandate, a mask mandate, where people are forced to wear masks. Now, people are fed up by this. They're they're really they're really fed up. the The general public is absolutely fed up by this. And you can see it in the streets. You see it in the people's faces. Nobody wants to be wearing a mask. Nobody cares about masks. Nobody wants to be the one who's uh, who, who's there to, um, to 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 protect themselves or to protect other people by wearing a mask. It, it's pointless. It's useless. And it's dumb. But it gives the government control. It gives them control over your life. And what happens when they have control over your life? Well, then they feel like gods, don't they? And that's what governments love to do. They love to feel godlike. And when they have the more control, when you willingly give up your civil liberties and you willingly give up your rights to do anything and willfully, willfully bow to the oppressive arm of the government, well then... It's it's essentially your fault then, isn't it? I'm Howie Silberger. This is the Howie Silberger Show right here on the True Talk Radio Network. We're on every night, Monday to Thursday, at 10 p.m., live at 10 p.m., every single night of the week. Well, Monday to Thursday. Uh, we're on live at 10 p.m., 10 to 11 p.m. I hope you join me again tomorrow. I'd love, I'd love for you to join me um, to join me every day. And we can have these discussions. I, I'd love for you to start calling in. Numbers to call, uh, you know, I, it's kind of late now, but number to call in the future is 1-877-669-1292. Uh, you, could, uh, you could download the, uh, the episode. Um, it's on YouTube. It's on, uh, it's on Twitter. It's on Twitch. It's on Facebook. Uh, the MP3 will be posted soon. You could... Um, you can subscribe to the podcast at a favorite podcasting service. Just type in for the look for the Howie Silberger show. It will be there. You could just subscribe to our podcast. You could um, you could watch me live. And of course, you could download the app, the True Talk Radio Network app. And that app is available from your favorite app store. <laughs> 